Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second episode of the Blood Problems Podcast, Reflections on Living with Hemophilia, hosted by me, Michael Bishop. Firstly, I want to thank everybody who listened to the the first episode. That was a, a very cathartic experience, and I did not expect the, the reception that I got. I, of course, was hoping for it, but people were very, very sweet about it and, and went out of their way to reach out and let me know that they were listening and and gave me their thoughts on it. And I just, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate um, you guys listening to it and, and, and sending me messages and um, telling me how you relate to it. That that was something that, that I genuinely didn't expect. People's ability to relate to what I was saying outside of the hemophilia community. It is, of course, important to me to relate to people who have hemophilia, but I was hoping when I started this podcast that it was going to be something that, that transcends hemophilia and, and the hemophilia community. And, and by speaking open and honestly and candidly about my struggles with hemophilia, I can find uh, an avenue to relate to people who, who don't have hemophilia and are just dealing with, with their own stuff. I think these, these reflections hopefully can, can be something that, that just boils down to the human condition and, and the struggles that we all feel. And I definitely got a sense that that was happening um, with the response to the first episode. And that is, that is so motivating. That makes me feel so great. And I am just endlessly appreciative for, for everyone that, that reached out and told me they were listening. Today's episode will be continuing with the theme of, of mental health. Uh, that is, of course, something I advocate for every day and something that, that I want to destigmatize and, and make people feel more comfortable with as far as their their ability to discuss it openly and honestly. And and I, I hope I can contribute to that conversation in some way with this podcast. And so I, I want to continue that. It's it's certainly on my mind and it has been in the last couple years. Um, and, and today's topic is something that, that has weighed on me for for a long time, um, certainly certainly in recent years. And that is that is one of, of anxiety as it relates to the future when, when living with a chronic illness like hemophilia. I've gone back and forth on whether or not to begin each episode with an explanation of hemophilia. I don't I don't want that to be burdensome to people who listen all the time and, and already know what hemophilia is or already have a sense of, of what hemophilia is since they listened to the first episode. But at the same time, I don't want to exclude anyone who's hopping in and, and listening to the, the second episode as their first listen or certainly down the road are listening to, to episodes in the future. Um, so I, I do think I'm going to give just a brief overview of hemophilia again, not like in the first episode. If you are interested in these the specifics of what hemophilia is exactly and, and my particular diagnosis and, and how that's treated and how that affects me, check out the first episode, Self Image, for a more detailed explanation on that. Um, for now, I will just give a, a brief overview, give you my diagnosis, and you can do some Googling if you are if you are really, really curious and, and want to know exactly uh, my experience and, and what hemophilia is. So hemophilia is a genetic bleeding disorder that affects um, someone's ability to form clots properly. And most people upon hearing that associate that with, with external cuts, like getting, getting cut with a knife or scissors or something, and thinking that hemophilia mostly means when that happens, you bleed and bleed and bleed, and, and that's where the problems lie. Um, that's, that's not necessarily the case. That is a factor of hemophilia, but that is not the main concern of hemophilia patients. Hemophilia patients actually deal with, with internal bleeding, and that is, that is the primary concern. That's what leads to affected day-to-day -day lives and, and 
permanent damage to the joints, and that that's mostly where where the focus is and, and where the the problems lie for hemophilia patients. You form clots all the time in your body, in your joints, in your muscles uh, as you're going about your day and and going through little traumas of falling down or walking too far or running up and down the stairs or whatever it may be. And uh, most people don't notice these little clots happening, but um, hemophiliacs do because we we don't get those clots sometimes. And that leads to internal bleeding into joints or muscles, which means they can swell up and that blood while in the joint or muscle does permanent damage and leads to chronic pain, limited mobility, and other complications that, that affect um, daily life for a hemophilia patient. I have severe hemophilia B with an anaphylactic allergy and inhibitor to factor nine products, which basically means uh, bad hemophilia and an inability to use the medication that I need to, to make it better. I do have a medication that I can use. Um, it's just not as effective and I can't treat preventatively. So while a lot of hemophiliacs can live relatively normal lives as long as they maintain their treatment regimen, I unfortunately have to wait for one of those internal bleeds to start and then have to get on top of it with a medication that isn't ideal for my circumstances. Which means I get treatment, I get to stay alive, I get to remain a relatively healthy person, and I, I have not lost my ability to walk or anything like that, but it does mean that I have a lot of chronic pain, a lot of damage to my joints, and it means that potentially in the future I, I will be in a worse place with my physical health and perhaps someday not, not be able to walk. That kind of leads into, into today's topic of, of having anxiety towards the future. And I actually, um, a year and a half ago, started getting panic attacks associated with my bleeds, but we'll get into more of that later. I've tentatively titled this episode Future Trippin', which is a phrase that I've just used to describe this anxiety regarding the future um, amongst my friends or, or family. They never quite understand what I mean uh, when I initially say it, so I don't know if it's the best title for a podcast. I might change that upon publication, but for now, I'm going to call this Future Trippin'. Um, it basically just means tripping on the future and, and being worried about what my life is going to look like in, in five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road as, as my, my chronic pain gets worse and my, my joints get a little bit worse. It certainly affects my expectations for, for my future. This episode's probably going to get a little bit intense, um, maybe even more so than, than last week when I talked about self-image and, and how that led to an eating disorder for me when I was young. That seems impossible. I didn't think I would, I would go back to such a heavy topic so soon, but it, it's something that's been on my mind recently and, and something I've been dealing with for the past couple years, year and a half, and and so I thought that, that I should I should make this an early episode. I think I can talk about it, and I should talk about it, because it's something I know a lot of hemophilia patients struggle with, and I know it's something a lot of people struggle with in general. Um, thinking about the future can be really scary, and there are always variables in our lives that are beyond our control, and this is just a very obvious and present one in my life that is easy to, to reflect on. I'll be talking about hopelessness. I'll be talking about suicidal ideations, which is unfortunately something that I've struggled with since I was a teenager and something that I that I definitely struggled with um, around this time last year. And so it's it's fresh on my mind. It's something incredibly important, and it's something I want to destigmatize. So um, I'll be delving into that today. It's a, another gnarly one, and I apologize for that. But again, people were so sweet and receptive to the last one that it, it does 
give me the confidence to be able to be vulnerable and honest and candid with discussions like this. And I hope that I hope that some people can can find some value in, in, in what I'm going to say today. So I do also want to add a, a trigger warning to this episode. I'm going to be talking about some really tough times, and I know I know people have a hard time listening to someone talk about suicide or suicidal ideations. And I, I will be doing that this episode. Um, and so if that's that's something that is difficult for you to hear or something you think you shouldn't hear, I advise you to maybe skip this one. I don't know exactly when I'm going to be talking about it because, again, I, I don't have a, a script in front of me or a plan for this conversation. But I do know that that is something that's going to come up. And so if, yeah, that, if that's something that bothers you or something you feel like you aren't in a place to hear right now i totally understand and i will have a new episode soon um, but but that's yeah I, ju- I just wanted to to make that clear and and give that that warning for for everybody so uh you you are informed uh, of the content of, of this episode and, and the fact that it could get pretty pretty intense and and pretty dark and please you know viewer discretion is advised thank you for for coming back if this is your first episode Thank you for listening. This is episode two of the Blood Problems podcast, Future Tripping. So like I said, this is something I've, I've struggled with throughout my life, but particularly in the last year and a half. It's something that, that has been something I, I, I can't ignore. And um, anxiety regarding the future is a difficult subject to, to analyze, and it's, it's hard to unpack the things that are making you nervous about the future and it's it's even harder to address them once you have unpacked them and, and realized them but but a couple things have have brought that back to my attention in in recent months and um and so i i'm, I'm going to start off by talking about how hemophilia affected my my future ambitions when i was a kid because i this week, downloaded a game that I loved when I was like seven years old. I first purchased it when it came out 19 years ago, and um, I fell in love with it. It's a little game called Jet Set Radio, and in the game, you play a little graffiti tagger who rides around on rollerblades and just sprays graffiti and runs from the cops. I think it influenced me a lot when I was young, certainly my rebellious behavior, but I had a vivid memory when I started playing this of being in the hospital as a kid. I don't remember why I was there. I don't think it was a surgery or anything. It might have been it might have been my knee dislocation and realignment. That is a distinct possibility. But I remember being in the hospital and not being able to walk and being super sad about that. And I remember playing this game and it making me want to rollerblade really bad. And it's it's interesting thinking about that because because when I was a kid, at that time I was so hopeful that whatever I was going through was going to pass, and and it was going to be totally over and done with in in the foreseeable future. And I remember laying in my hospital bed and talking to my mom about buying me rollerblades when I was out and I could walk again. And she was always supportive of those things, you know. When I when I had a stupid idea like that where I wanted to be reckless and, and be a, a little liberated kid who could run around and hurt himself and, and ride a skateboard or, or rollerblades or whatever. She was always supportive of that. She always wanted me to feel like I was totally normal. And, and being in the hospital was just a little 
deviation from where I wanted to be, but eventually I was going to be realigned and back on track and able to do the things that I wanted to do. And so sitting in that hospital bed as a seven, eight, nine-year-old or however old I was, I was, I was incredibly hopeful that, that in a couple months or however long it would be, I would be totally back to normal. And thinking about the future then was thinking about a better place. It was thinking about, okay, once I'm done with this, I can get back to my life. I can get back to being a kid and I'm going to make plans to, to learn how to rollerblade and, and graffiti things. And, and that memory really struck me as important because it's, it's a stark contrast to me thinking about the future now. That, that hopefulness kind of went away at some point. And, uh, and I, I want to I unpack that. You know, I want to think about that a little more and, and discover when that happened and why that happens. When I went from being in the hospital, thinking about being healthy again, to being healthy relatively and, and thinking about how I'm not going to be when I'm older. You know, it's, it's, it's the total opposite of, of that optimism that I had when I was a kid. I'm laying in the hospital, knee dislocated and realigned, and all I'm thinking about is how when I'm done with this, when this inconvenience is out of the way, I'm going to get back to being a kid and I'm going to be a, a, a reckless little shit and, and rollerblading again or starting to learn how to rollerblade. And then cut to 25-year-old Michael laying on the floor of his apartment with no bleeds going on, but totally riddled with anxiety about what I'm going to look like when, when I'm 30 or 30, 35. And it's, it's, such a, it's such a deviation from the mentality of when I was a kid that, that I, have to, I have to address it. You know, I have to unpack that a little bit and I have to get into the weeds and, and kind of discover why that happened and where that happened. Bleeds sort of went from downtime where I could plan for all the cool stuff that I wanted to do in the future to an anxiety attack that was a reminder that my body was getting worse and that I wouldn't be able to do the things that I wanted to do in the future. And that that sucks, you know, that that shouldn't that shouldn't be my mentality. I should I should be grateful for the times where I could walk and and when I can walk. And I just, I'm having a harder time getting back to that feeling. I'm having a harder time appreciating the, the moments when I, can, when I can walk around a park or something. Because even the happiness I feel then is just a reminder that that is most likely going to go away as I age. And I, I hate feeling like that. You know, that's, um, that's, not, a, that's not a good feeling. And so... Again, in the interest of making this podcast conversational, I don't have any notes in front of me, and I'm just, I'm just gonna talk out loud and, and kind of uh, unpack this in real time. And and so I think, I think next I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the worst of it and um, how bad it got, and then where where I am now with everything. And again, this is this is gonna be a little dark. Uh, I I was in a a pretty bad place a year ago, a year and a half ago, and. Um, I hope I, I hope I can handle this with as delicately as, as it deserves to be handled. I also again want to be want to be as candid as possible. You know, I think I think you giving me your attention means that that you deserve more than, than me being coy and trying to, to tiptoe around 
topics that I don't want to address or or times in my life that I that I don't want to be honest about because that's you know that's not what that's not what this podcast is that's not what I want this show to be and so um I'll take you back to to a year and a half ago when I I think I experienced the one of the darker times in in my life I had started getting these panic attacks when I would have bleeds um I I kind of described last week how when I was a kid I would have a bleed it would go away and then I, I would bounce back just as high as I was before that bleed started. And as I've gotten older, that's, that's certainly changed. You know, I, I, I can feel myself not bouncing back as high as I was before that bleed started now. And um, that's, a, that's an intense feeling, you know, to, to feel a certain way one day, have a bleed, be in a lot of pain for a week or whatever it is have that bleed go away, but then not feel like that joint is as strong as it was before that bleed started or feeling like a little bit more chronic pain had creeped into my life that I, that I couldn't get rid of. And so that was, that was really weighing on me mentally. And, and it got to the point where when a bleed started, I would freak out. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't really know what to do with myself because it was a reminder that my joints were getting worse and Every time I had a knee bleed start or something, I would think about what my life was like when I was 20 and what my body looked like when I was 20 and how it felt. And I would notice in that moment the difference as a 25-year-old, how my body looked and how it felt. And then naturally and unfortunately jump to 30-year-old Michael and, and thinking about what, what his body's going to look like and how it's going to feel and 35-year-old Michael. And it freaked me the fuck out. It was, it was always too much, but I, I couldn't escape it. When I had a bleed coming on, there was the physical pain of it, but more than ever, and for the first time, really, I was overwhelmed with, with the, uh, uh, the mental repercussions of a bleed and, and the, the psychological repercussions of a bleed. And it was, it was the toughest experience because... I was used to the bleed pain, but I wasn't used to this this anxiety, this inescapable fear of of what these bleeds were were doing to me. And uh, and I I didn't I didn't really know how to get past that. And I, I I'm certainly better about it now, but I'm still very much in the thick of it, which which seems like the best time to talk about it. You know, it's 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 something present right now that I'm still grappling with and still unpacking and, and analyzing and so it, it feels like a like a good topic for for this show so bleed would come on I would feel my joint swelling up and I would be laying there and where where I used to think oh this joint's swelling up okay I need to go get some factor I need to you know prep an infusion and, and get this get this ball rolling and so so I can heal this thing and get back to normal but the the pain then became linked with the fear and the anxiety and i i could almost feel the joint getting worse i could almost like feel that that permanent damage happening to my joint and bleed pain can be constant you know it can be something that that does not go away when it's really bad i've described it as as 
a type of pain where you don't know if you're going to make it to the next second without passing out or throwing up or, or, you know, completely losing it. And that happening every single second, it's, um, it's difficult to deal with. I mean, it's like, that's seems silly to say, but it, it, it is something that's, that's difficult to, to cope with in the moment. And I had, but I had gotten pretty good at it in 20, in 25 years. And suddenly I, I was presented with, with a new problem and uh, a new, a new aspect of, of that pain that I, I certainly wasn't ready for. So I had this, this inescapable anxiety associated with this, this pain. The bleed would heal the physical pain would go away, but that anxiety was still very much there. It was just easier to ignore when I didn't have an active bleed going on. And at the time, um, I had a girlfriend who was who was super wonderful, and her her presence in my life made it a little bit easier to ignore the fact that I had this this impending thing this this like this this future that i didn't necessarily want but was creeping towards it was a little bit easier to to return to the present and say okay well you know what right now i don't fucking care because life is life is good right now it's okay but at the same time being being in love as everyone knows makes you think about the future in in a good way typically you're like daydreaming about what what this will look like should it continue for for years, but that's that's where I would get really really tripped out. That's when it would be kind of the worst, where it's it's like <laughs> not to be not to like overshare or put anyone else's business into this podcast, but. Again, when when you got when you have a significant other or something and you're dating and you're you're laying next to them or daydreaming about the future during the day or whatever, you're thinking, "Oh man, this this would be a a cool partner to have in in the future." And again, to speak pretty candidly, you might think, "Oh man, this this person would make a cute kid, I bet." <laughs> um and it it just it just made me think about about my future and and what I wanted to to be <laughs> that sounds silly but what I what I wanted my life to look like as a 30 year old and you know being being a father is is something that that I often thought about but it's it's more more present in your minds when when you have a significant other and so I would then kind of kind of remove myself of that specific situation, but just think, oh, what you know, what would I be like as a dad? What kind what kind of dad would I be? And as I thought about getting older and potentially having kids, I would have to think, okay, that'll be in five years, ten years, whatever. How old will I be then? I'll be like thirty, thirty-five years old. And I couldn't I couldn't picture I couldn't picture that scenario the way I wanted to. You know, I wanted to picture myself as the kind of dad who could like throw a kid on my shoulders or walk around with them at the zoo or take them to to the beach all day or whatever. But with this anxiety simultaneously happening, I couldn't I couldn't picture it that way. 
I thought, well, shit, if this is my body at 25 and I know what my body was like at 20, 30, 35, if it's as worse now, if it's this bad now compared to when I was 20, 30s is not looking great. You know, my... I'm much more limited than I was when I was a 20-year-old. And I, I do have to think about things like walking around the zoo all day or something like that. And that often leads to bleeds, even if I can get through it, you know, and, and deal with, with the pain of limping around there. It, it often leads to a bleed, which takes me out for a week. Then not only comes with that, of course, not only comes with physical pain, but as I said, permanent damage to the joints. And so it's something I have to consider. And I thought, well, shit, maybe by then... I uh, I won't be able to walk anymore. You know, it might get to the point where my joints are so permanently damaged that I'm in a wheelchair. And suddenly that that picture, that expectation, or that hopeful thought of the future looks a lot different than than I had initially envisioned. You know, um, and I know I know there are a lot of great dads in wheelchairs. Of course, you know, being being a a hemophiliac and active in this community, I know great dads in wheelchairs and I know that doesn't affect your ability to be a good dad. But I think any time our vision of the future deviates from the ideal, it hurts and it's not, it's not something you, you want to accept, but it's, it's something I, I can't change about myself. And I know worrying about it doesn't do me any good and it doesn't help the situation at all. But it's certainly something from which I can't escape. It's certainly something I can't ignore. So I would return to, well, whatever, at least the present is okay. You know, I'll worry about that when when I'm there. But for right now, who fucking cares? I got this rad lady. I'm I'm feeling okay today, and that's all that matters. And I can just ignore the future, and totally just live in in the present, which you know is is great in theory. That's something we should all try to do more, I guess. But whenever I had a bleed, or whenever I would, my mind would wander, and I would start to daydream about what my life looked like in in five, ten years. It was this. fucking stupid hopelessness that would just creep back in and and be a reminder that the life I was envisioning is likely not the life that I'm going to have and that was uh not a good feeling <laughs> to put it very ineloquently it it was something I couldn't couldn't really accept you know and then life happened and I didn't have that that significant other in my life anymore. And so the day after that change happened, I was confronted with anxiety for the future. And then when I went to go return to just like living in the present, I thought, oh, this isn't how I envisioned it either. And it was sort of like the my life isn't good right now. I don't see my life being the life that I wanted in the future. And it led to a, a dreadful and horrible hopelessness. 
and I was alone in my apartment. My my roommate was out of town. And I I remember just like laying on the floor, looking up at the ceiling, crying like a baby and not not knowing how to get out of that feeling. And the the first time I was suicidal, I was in high school. It wasn't even really brought on by anything. I think it was just an underlying depression that came as a result of I had surgery every single year of high school and I walked without pain my entire eighth grade year and that was going away and it was becoming apparent to me that that was never going to come back and and I felt hopeless then. I was able to get through it. I, I don't I don't really remember much of, of how I, I coped with it or, or got through it. I, I just know that I did. But that feeling, that feeling came back. And I was on the floor of my apartment and didn't, didn't know what to do. And so kind of robotically, I just kind of stood up and walked to my desk where my computer was. Opened my laptop. And just started writing to people, not knowing exactly what that was going to be for, but having an idea of what it what it may be for. And I just started writing to everybody that, that I cared about. And still crying like a baby. And then Googled, and this is a credit to Google, Googled a painless way to potentially kill myself. And um, the the forced ad, the first thing that, that popped up as a result was the suicide prevention hotline. And I thought, well, that's probably that's probably a better option. And so I called them and they put me on hold. And so I put my phone on speaker and let the music play and then continued writing. And I I made bullet points of everyone to write to. I uh, yeah made made a bulleted list of everyone I I wanted to write to, and that included my my mom and my dad and my my friends. Um, it started with my mom though, and I didn't know what to say to her. You know, I I started to write it, but but could not finish that. You know, I I didn't I did not think that the words existed to comfort her, or I I didn't think. I could say anything that would help her cope with losing me. And so I kind of began to write that, but then skipped her and wrote to everybody else and went back to it and realized that I couldn't, I couldn't say anything. And so I wrote as much as I could and then closed my laptop and got a sticky note and wrote the password for my laptop on there and, and stuck it on top. And then I kind of sat back into my chair and um had a had a moment of lucidity a little bit and and moment of clarity and kind of snapped back into reality and and looked at my phone and saw that I was still on hold from the crisis prevention hotline and this is dark and weird and no one I've ever told this to has has found it at all humorous but in that moment, I just thought, man, they had me on hold so long. I wrote this whole suicide note in the time. 
and it made me laugh. Um, in that that dark place, that that made me laugh, and laughing reminded me, oh, I can laugh, and it was maybe a silly moment, but but a powerful one to me at that time, and I just being reminded that I could laugh was enough to snap back into into reality a little bit and and decide that this this wasn't the logical course of action you know this ending your life is is never never the the correct option and and so i i took a step back and just said okay i i can't do this i took the sticky note i i still i keep it in my dresser just as as a reminder of of that night and put it in my dresser and and went to bed the following days got a little bit easier. Um, that anxiety didn't really go away, but I could at least return to the present and and feel okay. You know, just be be reminded that oh well, I could I could have laughed then. I laughed then, and so you know, as long as I as long as I still have those moments, it's certainly worth sticking around. And and so I I got through that that week that month and came back into reality but i i was still not fully not fully healed from that experience and had not fully coped with with this this anxiety and so i moved out of that apartment moved in by myself started seeing my mom more started seeing my my best friend more and started talking openly about that experience not with my not with my mom but but with with my friends and um just just reached out to them and just explained everything that I was feeling and although they didn't really know what to say you know there's there's not a lot you can say they they were just there to listen and that was enough to sort of get it off my chest uh, that the the pressure was alleviated just enough that I, I you know my my chest could could breathe I could I could take in breath again, and things just continued to get a little bit easier every day. Uh, when when bleeds happened, the the anxiety attacks returned, but they weren't as severe. They weren't as intense as they were. I I was relieved to know that people knew that it was happening, and and that was enough to keep me a, at least a little bit grounded. And then when I had a bleed, I had friends that would check in on me and say, "Hey." How are you feeling? You know, do you need me to come over, etc. I had I had great people in my life that that were willing to come over and distract me, or or talk me through this, or let me vent to them, and it it's it is certainly the reason I'm I'm around right now. It didn't totally didn't totally heal that, to be sure. I I I still experience that, and so this is still. This isn't going to be something I can wrap up in a nice little bow and present as this is an experience and this is how you get through this. It's still something I deal with. You know, I'm still still alone in my apartment with my cats and I still lay on the floor sometimes and look at the ceiling and feel a, a an intense and undeterred sense of, of hopelessness. But reflecting on that night when I was 25, like a year a year ago is is enough is enough to get me through those moments lying on the floor because I know it's not going to get worse than that 
you know, the, 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 the present thankfully has never felt quite so bleak again. And so I, I, I can return and, and say, okay, well, regardless of what shit looks like in the future, it's okay, right the fuck now. And that's all that matters. And it's, it's enough to hold on to. I guess this episode is also about embracing change. You know, and, and not being scared when your picture for the future deviates from the reality of what it what it can be. You know, day daydreaming is something that certainly helped me when I was a kid and I had this optimistic viewpoint that things were going to radically change and it was gonna be way better when I was when this bleed was over or this thing was over. But ultimately, living in the present is is where I've I've found myself and where I, I've been able to to remain grounded and remain myself. And re- regardless of how hopeless the future can seem, embracing the day is enough. And it, it'll always be enough. And so now when I when I get that anxiety. I just look at my cat's face and his dumb nose or I go outside and think, oh, it's it's a nice day today or it's, you know, it's going to rain later and I love the rain or, or whatever it is. Thinking about that is is what I hold on to. When I when I was in that that shitty place, I confided in a friend of mine and it's a friend that I hang out with all the time and we get together with with another buddy of ours and play the the Nintendo 64 game Mario Party. And and we love to do it and uh it's it's always a great hang and uh he he let me vent to him and let me talk about how shitty everything around me felt and how 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 much um who I was hoping to be was disappearing and he just he looked at me and he was like listen man i don't know what what your life is going to look like in five years or ten years but next week we got another mario party game so can you just just stick around until the next mario party game and that's what i thought all that week just like well okay i got i got mario party next week and after the next week, he and I talked again, and I told him I was feeling better but still had this anxiety, and he just goes, well, just stick around for the next the next Mario Party. And uh, that thought never really left my mind. I'm just always, always sticking around for that next Mario Party game. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful. I don't know if any of this is helpful, but... This is this has honestly been my my struggles with with hopelessness and future tripping and anxiety um, for the future. I got emotional in the middle and it was difficult to talk, and so I don't know if I'm gonna re-record this or edit it down to fucking nothing. But if you've made it to the end, thank you. Thank you for tuning in again and, and, and listening to another episode of me just venting in your ears. I really appreciate it. Uh, I promise I promise the next one won't be 
so dark. <laughs> um, but that's life sometimes, you know? And sometimes shit feels hopeless and anxiety riddled and unsatisfying and like there's not a good conclusion, but sometimes it's not about the conclusion and it's just about waiting for the next Mario Party game. Thank you all for listening to the second episode. Um, this was a weird one, and I, I apologize for, for how heavy that got, but um, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys listening to it. This this is, this is an incredibly cathartic thing for me, and talking about these things, honestly, is... is um, is something I really value, you know, sitting down in a quiet room and just talking for, for 45 minutes to myself about the things I'm struggling with or about these, these memories that I have that, that creep up sometimes and that I, I feel like I need to reflect on and analyze a little bit is, is an, a, a wonderful experience and, and uh, one that I, that I value a great deal. And regardless of the audience, I, I don't know if you're going to relate to this or if a lot of people are going to hear this, but it's just, um, yeah, if you do, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for checking this out. Um, I think I'm going to do this podcast twice a month. So in two weeks, uh, make sure to check back for what I'm sure will be a sunnier, more positive, uplifting episode. <laughs> Thank you so much.